the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. No, I love you. I, I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight. Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 75 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, it is a full house of everybody that you love and know on the show. We have Will Mavity. Hey, guys. Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Good to be back. Deanne Kiyazese. Hello. Day 975 of Sundance. Hey. (laughs) And Ryan C. Showers, everybody. Hi, everyone. So um, this is going to be a packed episode mostly because um, we have so much to talk about. I mean, guys, Oscar nominations were announced this week. Deanne, myself, and Will, we attended Sundance. Deanne, you're still going through uh, Sundance, actually. (laughs) Um, I believe today is the last day as we speak. And, I mean, we have the weekly poll to go over, you know, and, and then a little thing. Just a, one other little thing. Um, we also were able to do our MVP Film Awards for the staff. I want to take a moment to apologize uh, to the dear listeners out there. The Community Awards are not finished quite yet. Uh, the polls have closed for that, and all the submissions are in. We are still uh, tallying them up as we speak. So those hopefully will be ready by next week. And then once they are posted, uh, you guys will be able to vote on them as well and pick the winners for the MVP Community Film Awards. But for the purposes of the staff for this episode, I will be announcing um, our nominations for the Best in Film for 2017 as voted on by the staff of Next Best Picture. <sighs> Sounds like fun, right, everybody? Yes. All right. <laughs> So I want to first take us through the Oscar nominations first and foremost. I mean, that's primarily why we all here. It is our Super Bowl. It is our World Series. It is the number one thing that we build our lives up up until every single year. All the conversations, all the debates, all of the think pieces, it all ends here. So let's go through the categories first, one at a time. Best documentary feature, Abacus, Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, Faces, Places, Icarus, Last Man in Aleppo, Strong Island. Thoughts, reactions, what did you guys think? No nomination for Jane here is sort of big considering how well it did with critics. But that type of film with archival footage uh, does not always do well with this branch. That's fair. I think the bigger story is that Steve James got in for the first time since Hoop Dreams. That is amazing. Um, I I don't know about you guys, but I feel that if they push that really hard... I think that could stealth sneak itself to a win based on that alone. Uh, but there is Agnes Varda still. I was going to say, and she is, what is she older than James Ivory? Does she By make about 10 the days, yes. Yeah, so she's the oldest Oscar nominee in history. And that's also a narrative, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you guys on that. No City of Ghosts, which I was surprised by. That, that seemed to be a constant force all throughout the season as well. Uh, so Jane and that missing here, definitely two of the shockers of the morning, I would say. Um, Icarus, we all expected that to get in. And I still have to see Strong Island. I still have not seen that yet. I believe that's on Netflix, though. So I, I probably can ca- uh, check that one out. Um, 
Okay, moving on to the next one. We have a lot of categories to get through. Best Foreign Language Film, Body and Soul, A Fantastic Woman, The Insult, Loveless, The Square. <laughs> it's, it's amazing because, like, I feel like with the foreign language category, you know, when we kind of started before the, uh, the the Bake Off and then all of a sudden some of the nominees got uh, left off here, I feel like I felt really good about myself. Like, I felt like I had seen a lot of foreign language films this year. And now that we've got the final five nominees, it's cracking me up that I've only seen one and that's The Square. And now I got to try and seek these other ones out. But like, you know, first they kill my father, BPM, Raw, uh, Thelma, In the Fade. <laughs> I've seen yeah, all of those right. and they're all missing. Like, <laughs> you know, In the Fade looked like it was doing well after like the Globes win. But then you also have something like Foxtrot, which we heard about out of Telluride and people were loving it and saying, oh, yeah, it's really ambitious and startling. And having just been in Israel, where the film is from, that's actually a really controversial movie over there. Not to mention, too, it played at Sundance even. And there were so many people that were saying how they had planned on seeing it because they were waiting to see it get the Oscar nomination. And then as soon as the nominations came out, a lot of people were like, yeah, I decided to skip it now, which I think is a little sad. Oh, that I'm one of those people. So oh, that's really sad. <laughs> I had a ticket and everything, but I made a different choice once it didn't make the nominee. Oh. Yeah, it's causing quite a stir outside of just the Oscar race, too. So I don't know if that had to do with it missing. Yeah. Do we think the square wins now by default? Probably. Mm. Well, remember, On Body and Soul is a Netflix movie. Meaning? It's going to be on there in a few weeks for anyone to see. Oh, okay. So widely seen, most popular wins, that sort of thing. Right. It hasn't even been released in America uh, nationwide yet. It's just going to be on Netflix like Mudbound was. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I think a fantastic woman takes it, but we have a few more weeks to go with that. Yeah. I agree. Best animated feature, The Boss Baby, The Breadwinner, Coco, Ferdinand, Loving Vincent. No Lego Batman movie. They do they not like that the series. Time, they're not going to do it now. Yeah. I mean, at this point, uh, I think that no matter what kind of a Lego movie comes out, even if it's like the best animated reviewed film of the year, um, I'm just not going to pick it to get a nomination. I knew The Boss Baby was happening all season, but it still disgusts me. Ferdinand actually is the one that surprised me. I expected Boss Baby to get in. I, I didn't think. Ferdinand yeah, I just thought. The, yeah, same. I thought Ferdinand would miss, but like I'm still disgusted by the Boss Babies. Oh, it's fine. Ew, it's enjoyable. It's a, it's a baby version of Trump, dude. That's why people liked it. That's why you liked it. <laughs> he said, it was like satire. He, <laughs> he said it was fine. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, all right, moving on from that, because it's all it's clear to everyone that Coco is winning that. There's not much to talk about there. No doubt. Uh, best visual effects, Blade Runner 2049, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Kong Skull Island, War for the Planet of the Apes, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. I should have predicted Kong after that Annie nomination. Oh, you had a hunch. I did have a hunch, but I didn't act on it. See, I, I, I thought it was going to be Shape of Water. I mean, because clearly... It's funny because it wasn't eligible for makeup and had it made visual effects, which is the only category that it missed, not due to a technicality, um, it would be tying the all-time record for nominations. I'm sort of glad that it didn't because that almost hurt La La Land last year. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think that's the reason why La La Land went down. Will? Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I said this year that uh, whatever got in with the Annies, I was going to predict. And then I was like, oh, but it's not going to be calm. But I think we really do need to take that as a credible precursor now because the surprise nominee for the last three years has shown up at the Annies. 
The Revenant, that was the first place anyone had an inkling that The Revenant would be a visual effects nominee was at the Annie's. And the year after that, it was Deepwater Horizon, which again was a surprise nominee. And this year, Kong Skull Island. So I was a little surprised by that inclusion just because I didn't hear a lot of hype for it after the bake-off. Guardians didn't really shock me. You know, I wasn't predicting it, but the reel was so funny and people clearly enjoyed it so much. I think that's why it got in. Like, Kong is surprising. Not that it's undeserved, but it was surprising. And no Dunkirk here, which means that there's absolutely no Best Picture nominees within the category. That makes it even tougher now to choose a winner, I think, between War for the Planet of the Apes and Blade Runner 2049. I really don't know which way to lead. Yeah, it's going to be one of those. Yeah, Yeah, I can't see it going to Star Wars or the other two that were considered surprise winners there. I think Apes finally takes it. You know, as a reward for the whole trilogy, I, I could totally see that happening. And I swear to God, I, I, I it would warm my heart so much if they somehow found a way to bring Andy Serkis onto the stage with the visual effects artists. But we all know that's probably not going to happen. Uh, anyway, best sound editing and and best sound mixing. They were the exact same five nominees across the board. For the first time in years. Yeah, yeah. Baby Driver, Blade Runner 2049, Dunkirk, The Shape of Water, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. I, I think the most surprising thing for me, um, or one of the most surprising things rather, uh, on nomination morning was the show of support for Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, it got definitely. four nominations in total. And I think some of us were expecting it to get like one, you know, for visual effects, maybe two with, with one sound, but... Well, remember Rogue One last year only got a single nomination. Exactly. But that's outside of the trilogy, though. So, I mean, it's yeah, still there's like the same for the story, people, isn't it? Yeah, like Matthew Wood is sound branch royalty. It was shocking that he didn't get nominated last year. You know, it's it's still the same team regardless of the film. So as for the winners here, I think Dunkirk takes one and Baby Driver takes the other. I don't know how I feel about predicting a split yet. No, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really cautious on the matter. I have a feeling Dunkirk could take both. That's very yeah. possible too. Yeah, I don't know yet. Um, I, I can't think about winners right now. <laughs> uh, I think Baby Driver should just be happy it was in the club. Best original song, Remember Me from Coco, Mystery of Love, Call Me By Your Name, This Is Me, The Greatest Showman, Stand Up For Something, Marshall, Mighty River, Mudbound. You called it, Matt. You were, the, you were the first person to even suggest that it would be in the race, Mighty River. I know. that was. I don't even know how long ago that was, but that was. A, it feels like it was a very long time ago. <laughs> and I'm going to go a step further and suggest that it even wins. Me too. I think as a win for Mudbound as a whole, and as a way to also give something to Mary J. Blige, yes. And I also can't help but feel like of the nominees, that's the one that's going to probably have the most emotional performance on the evening for most people. Um, I think that song's just got a lot of soul and heart to it, you know, that when it's performed live and everyone's just seeing Mary J. Blige up on the stage like that, like it's, I I don't know, to me it's almost going to feel like, um, what was that one, uh, The Hunting Ground? Yes. Yeah, it's gonna like it's gonna feel like that. it's gonna be that song that just rocks the room, and then if it loses, this is people me, are gonna win. be like, "What? How did that lose?" <laughs> you know. So, Sam Smith comes back out. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a, he, he presents the awards of "This Is Me" just to troll us. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and also never underestimate Diane Warren. There she is yeah. again. But she's never won. I, mean, I, I want to give credit to Will, though, for calling that. Uh, I think you were the first person to call that nomination. Oh, dude, I called that in, like, September. Yeah. 
If not, see, and I yeah. thought she would get in for the other movie, Cries from Syria. Cries from Syria one. But uh, she always finds a way. Best original score, Dunkirk, Phantom Thread, The Shape of Water, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Three Billboards, Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, no real surprises here other than uh, John Williams getting in for Star Wars Over the Post, which I did not expect because I really don't think be one that Last Jedi score is that good. Yeah, I was shocked. Did, was there a single new theme no. composed for Last Jedi? And people will That's say that there shocked. is, but I didn't. I didn't hear it. Not once. It was like it was literally just <sighs> noise. You could say it. It's 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 noise. <laughs> yeah, and this is someone who grew up jamming to the Star Wars scores. There's not a single new theme here. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually I have to say with Force Awakens and now this that's actually been my greatest disappointment of the new trilogy is they keep bringing John Williams back and I'm glad that he's making the music for the films and keeping with the um, you know with the series overall since he scored all of them except for Rogue One but yeah it just seems like he's bringing nothing new to the table lately but at least with Force Awakens we have Ray's theme which was you know a, a new track but there's so many new characters here. They didn't introduce new tracks for any of them. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. This was, this was the weakest Star Wars score he's ever composed. But yet, he still got a nomination. Because <laughs> he's John and, uh, Carter Burwell's in there just for the wrong movie. <laughs> Michael, Carter Burwell, I mean, his Wonderstruck score is probably better. But... His three Billboard score is actually pretty good, and this is coming from someone who isn't a huge fan of the film. I I'll mean, say it again because I can't remember a single note of that score. Listen to it on its own; it's a solid score. If I just send it to you, Michael, I'll I'll, uh, I'll have you listen to it that way. It's um, it, it is really memorable and it is really good, actually. Like the All scene right. with the deer—that's the part I most remember about the yes. score. Yeah, and uh, no Thomas Newman. Nope. No, I'm shocked. Particularly because they like Victoria and Abdul more than I expected. And let's just say for the record, guys, Oscar nominee Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, but I, I feel so good to finally get saying that. I hope he wins. It's gonna it's gonna be that or Shape of Water. This plot is gonna win. So well, and maybe it's gonna be King's Speech Social Network all over again, you know, where we all thought it was gonna be uh, Alexander Desplat winning for the best picture, you know, front winner. And uh I mean, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting. Best makeup and hairstyling, Darkest Hour, Victorian Abdul, Wonder. No I, Tanya. No Bright. I, I know Will and I, I let out like an audible gasp when Victorian Abdul made it here. We were like, what? I did, yeah. It's really good work, though. Is it? Yeah, it I is. I haven't seen the film. The hair, oh yeah. I, I didn't think so. But that, but is then again, she aged at all? Isn't she just playing Judy Dench? They make her look far. very frumpy. No, yeah, she is frumpy. All right, fair enough. Uh, darkest hour or wonder surprises? Darkest hour. Yeah, darkest hour. But there is a lot of support for that team behind Wonder from uh, Rick Baker. Best film editing: Baby Driver, Dunkirk, Itania, Shape of Water, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I have to say, now that Three Billboards uh, later on when we I get to director, considering it did not get into director. This is like the ultimate of all of the nominations, every single one of them. This film editing mentioned for three billboards feels to me like the biggest coattail nomination of all. Oh, yeah. If it's not going to win, it makes no sense. Yeah. If it's yeah. not going to win picture, then it's just like, why was that here? 
I feel like Lady Bird should be there in its place. Yeah, Lady like Bird, the, Get Out, even The Post. Yeah, the Post, you yeah, know, had really good editing. I actually like Three Billboards editing. I thought it, I, 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 I thought it was memorable. Really? Or at least, yeah, I did. I don't know. I thought it was just classically put together and very neat, and I don't know. I don't know. I guess you could make the claim that it's edited in the way like Spotlight is edited, where it just doesn't draw attention to itself and the movie just flows, you know, and it's like kind of the perfect runtime, you yep, know? I would agree. So, it's a good comparison. Uh, I, Tanya, getting in, though, was pretty freaking baller. Yeah. I was very happy to see that land here. And it won the ACE this weekend over things like Baby Driver and Three Billboards. Yep. So there's clearly a lot of support for that. I mean, I'm not going to predict it for a win. I think Dunkirk no. takes editing in a walk. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Really? Because I think Baby Driver could take it. You're going to pick the non-Best Picture nominee? Well, it happened with Bourne. It happened with Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I mean, there is a precedent for it. I will say um, Baby Driver, uh, Bourne won the ACE. Bourne was not a surprise. Um, you know, Baby Driver losing here isn't great for its chances of doing that. I want to see what wins BAFTA because BAFTA correctly uh, had Hacksaw Ridge win editing last year, and we all kind of just wrote it off. And then it's and, it, and it has Whiplash in 2014. Whiplash lost the AC, and BAFTA called that correctly. Right. So I'm going to wait on BAFTA for that to decide. Uh, best costume design: Beauty and the Beast, Darkest Hour, Phantom Thread, Shape of Water, Victorian Abdul. No Greatest Showman. These are totally hey. expected, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of a general theme, I felt like, with the nominations in general. I mean, Will and I were definitely com uh, commenting to each other how expected the nominations all felt. Um, to me, there weren't that many surprises. There were a few here and there, but they mostly had to do with what got snubbed as opposed to what got in, if that makes yeah. sense. So mm -hmm. I was a little surprised to see Shape of Water here, just because I felt like they were going to recognize the monster in visual versus costume. Which is a combination of those two, right? Yeah, but it's the only thing that's costume. visual effects on the monster is the eyes. The eyes, right. Mm -hmm. No, no, the gills also. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What? I honestly watched the making of because there's a lot more CGI in there than you think there is. Like, it's, it's when you watch a making of in that film, you're going to feel real shitty about the fact that it didn't get individual effects. Yeah, weren't the streets done as CGI? Yeah, pretty much all the Baltimore exteriors and most of the lab um, were shot against green screens or heavily digitally augmented. Most of the water was digitally created. Um, and there's a lot of full body shots of the creature where he's a completely CGI figure. So there, I mean, there, there are a lot more visual effects on display than people give it credit for. And I think it was just so seamlessly integrated into the practicals people didn't notice and, uh, and I, yeah. I, that's a I, they did too good of a job basically <laughs> best production design beauty and the beast blade runner 2049 darkest hour dunkirk the shape of water um literally not a single surprise here nope not a single surprise except we're starting to get into the surprise for me which is just kind of how well overall darkest hour did i definitely underestimated it but it's such an Academy, like, Beatty film. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I knew it was going to get into things like um, costumes, cinematography. I even thought the score by Dario Marinelli could sneak in. I was surprised it didn't think. Right. I mean, I remember, like, back when I saw it, like, in the fall, I remember thinking, you know, this is a across-the-board contender. Um, but the internet really 
tried to play a role in downplaying the expectations and making it look like it was something that it clearly isn't. And what it is, is it's your typical Oscar bait film that plays very well, has a lead actor central performance to go along with it. I mean, and this was, you know, people talk about, oh, well, is the new Academy still going to go for something like this with all these new members? Yep. Yes, it is. And there's There's plenty of older members, too. So it's not like they just picked up and left as new people came in. (laughs) Well, let's talk about something that was a positive impact of maybe possibly of the new membership. I don't know. Or just the fact that it's some of the best work of the year. Best cinematography. We had Blade Runner 2049, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, The Shape of Water, and the first ever woman cinematographer nominated for best cinematography. Mudbound, Rachel Morrison. Yes. Yeah, really, really. It's really good work. Yeah. I didn't love the movie, but I was very impressed with what she was doing. It's beautiful, yeah. She was here in Salt Lake, well, in Park City, um, doing presentations for the Sundance Awards yesterday. So oh, it was Michael Stuhlbarg. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did you see them? No, no, sir. I was in a movie. <laughs> Best Adapted Screenplay, Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Molly's Game, Mudbound. We debated and debated and debated over what would be the fifth nominee in that slot, and it turned out to be Logan, thus making it the first ever comic book superhero film to be nominated for an above-the-line category, in this case, screenplay. Which made me forget that The Dark Knight wasn't nominated. Right. Oh, and I'm sorry, I will correct myself. Heath Ledger was nominated in above-the-line category. Let's just say, let let me just correct that and say screenplay. (laughs) So, yes, Dark uh, Dark Knight couldn't get into here. Um, Realistically speaking, though, Dark Knight and Logan are the only two films I would have ever considered for this category anyway. Mm. And I'll... um, but I think that, like, you know, just in a way, Logan blends um, the Western genre with the superhero genre and kind of, like, turns it on its head to present this story of, like, the aging old gunslinger who's got one last fight in him. Um, I-, I thought they did a really good job. I mean, but in the end, let's just call a spade a spade here. It was a weak year for Adaptive Screenplay. They made the best of a weak year, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's the other thing, too, it, we didn't talk about, just Wonder Woman... I was expected to probably hit somewhere below the line. Some of those tech categories. Yeah. Costume design, sound editing. Yeah. Uh, that, that hurt me a lot. I was upset by that. And they campaigned it so much. I'm mm-hmm. shocked. It was uh, next to Mudbound. I don't think any film campaigned as much as Wonder Woman. Hey, did. you know what? They got a ton of money in the bank. There's a sequel coming out. I'm sure they're okay. And they started the movement. So, I mean, I'm not too worried about them. Right. Best original screenplay, probably one of the toughest categories to predict all season. It finally boiled down to actually what was funny enough, um, the predicted five uh, amongst most people, the big sick, Get Out, Lady Bird, The Shape of Water, and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Kumail. I would say like in retrospect, the funniest thing about this category is that considering how well Phantom Thread did across the board, um, it's almost shocking to me that Paul Thomas Anderson did not get into screenplay now. Yeah. Yeah, but I look at this category, I seriously would be happy with any one of those movies winning. Agreed. <laughs> There's, I mean, yeah. it's just amazing. It's an amazing list. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the toughest category of the night, I think. Yeah, to predict. We're and, all waiting yeah. on BAFTA and WGA at this point with literally bated breath. I mean, like, it is, <laughs> it's going to be a bloodbath all the way till the very end. Oh, God. I, I don't know. Don't even ask me. I, I have no idea what's winning that. <laughs> Jesus, it wouldn't it be funny if like everybody just threw their hands up in the air and they were like, I don't know what to pick, so they just go for the big sick. 
and we have like, an ex so machina situation. So so happy. I would love that so much. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Best Supporting Actress, Mary J. Blige from Mudbound, Allison Janney, Itania, Leslie Manville, Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf, Lady Bird, Octavia Spencer, The Shape of Water. No Holly Hunter, no Hong Chow. Any the Holly time, Hunter one stings. I'm, I'm so sad about that. She was so good, and she, she should have gotten in. They clearly yeah. liked the film. And I um, love that Leslie Manville got in. She's one of my favorite performances of the year. Me too. But really, She's Mary J. Blige gets in over Holly Hunter. I really don't understand the Mary Blige love. I, I, I still don't. I still don't get it. I can't tell you a single thing about her performance in the movie. Even like when they, when they when they play her clip every time of her saying goodbye to Jason Mitchell and it's like, oh, that's her scene. I'm like, she's wearing glasses. I can't see her eyes. She's not being like overly emotive. And I, like, I don't know what it is about that performance that people see that is so great. Is it the voiceover? It's just yeah, the campaign. I don't get it. They spent a lot of money on her campaign and it paid off. So, like, I'm not like knocking like her personally or anything like that, but I just don't see what's to love in that performance. I don't get it. No, what about Octavia? Like, I love Octavia Spencer, but she literally just played Octavia Spencer here. And I just I have to assume. I think she what? brought something something more to the table than she did to even Hidden Figures. I would say this. Yeah, I think it's figures. different enough from like Hidden Figures and the health. I think it may be in the same wheelhouse, but it's not just like a carbon copy, especially her scene on the phone. I think that's really good stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. the her husband. Yeah. Yeah, where she yells at her husband. Yeah, that, that yeah. is a good scene. Yeah. But like, I just, I, I do think also she's just an incredibly likable person. And it's probably like Jonah Hill. Where members of the academy just really like her, and they're like, "Yeah, she's a, she's in a solid performance. Let's vote for it." So anytime from now on, basically anytime she shows up in a film that is in contention for best picture, I'm going to predict her. And now she ties the record of the most nominated uh, African American actress with Viola Davis. Yeah, but that is Octavia really cool. Octavia has the distinction of having all her nominations come from best picture nominees. Yeah, that is so cool. Best Supporting Actor, Willem Dafoe, The Florida Project, Woody Harrelson, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Richard Jenkins, The Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer, All the Money in the World, and Sam Rockwell, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, this category. So many things could have happened in this category. I have to say, now that it has happened um, and it's real, um, I do not approve of the Woody Harrelson nomination. Really? Yeah, well, I, particularly I, I, I don't. Particularly because... Now that it looks like the film isn't going to win Best Picture again, it just feels like a weird Coattails nomination. That oh, I don't know. I mean, he or does. Maybe it is going to win Best Picture, and it is going to Argo itself. He does good work in that film. He's really good in it, actually. I mean, I, I, yeah, I agree with you guys. I'm, I, I agree, but I just once again, I'm with. I'm leaning more with Will a little bit in the sense that if it isn't going to win Best Picture, it just feels like a waste of a nomination when it could have gone to one of the Call Me by Your Name guys. Yeah, yeah, I mean, having that, both yeah. of them out, that, that really stings. I mean, and I'm the first person to say, I don't think Army Hammer or even Michael Stuhlbarg stands out enough in that movie above Chalamet or equal footing with Chalamet. But I, a part of me still feels bad. <laughs> you know? I don't. I think he, I think he earned it. <sighs> and then for Christopher Plummer, I didn't love that movie, but I think he's really great in it. Plus, it just is a statement for everything that he's done. I approve of that nomination. Uh, Richard Jenkins, I love. Yeah. Very happy to see him in there. And uh, the, the winner, of course, Sam. <laughs> 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 uh, guys, I feel so validated right now. 
back when I saw that film in October and I was like, I've seen both Defoe and I've seen Rockwell and Rockwell's going to win. And then you all convinced me to switch to Defoe because of those damn critics wins, which leads me to the Florida Project's only nomination was Willem Defoe. So, I mean, across the board, no cinematography, no director, no picture. Uh, was anyone surprised or did they feel like this was going to happen? That was always on the table. You know, like a lot of people thought Baker could get like a Lenny Abramson, Ben Zeitlin style director nom. But a Florida Project near shutout, you know, I think we predicted that in early December. And then it was only when it started doing so well at the Critics Awards that we changed our tune. So that was always on the table. It could, it was one of those where it could have been gone for like five nominees or could have just gone for one. Best Actress, Sally Hawkins, The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Margot Robbie, Itania, Saoirse Ronan, Lady Bird, Meryl Streep, The Post. You know, I have to say this about Jessica Chastain. She's been so heavily featured like in the news lately as being such a progressive leader for the Me Too movement that it almost feels kind of odd in a way that she missed here. Because um, I feel like she's just so well-liked and respected within the community and her performance in Molly's Game was definitely worthy. And just seeing how the Post's only two nominations came from Meryl Streep in Best Picture, I, I I don't know. It just to me it feels more right to have Chastain in here. But I, I don't I don't know. Anyone else agree or disagree? I wish she could have been in, but I think um, Meryl's performance and Meryl's character and Meryl's character arc in the Post are important to reward. Yeah. So I hate that we're putting just Meryl versus Chastain. I think. Chastain should have bumped out somebody else. Well, the only reason why I say that is because Meryl was the only one that appeared to be the most vulnerable because she missed at important precursors. Right. I, I understand that. But I think um, I, I think Chastain should have been there at the expense of somebody else. Oh, God. Don't say who, because oh, you don't want pitch. Ryan and I, I will he... agree with who. <laughs> yes, oh, God. Thanks, Michael. I have is it Margot Robbie? Absolutely. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> And I love Itania. It's my it's in my top five of the year, and I I she's my least favorite part of it actually. Oh my god! I know. I wasn't an, I wasn't a fan of Itania, and I only liked her in one scene. Wow, the court oh. scene. Uh, that's it. Yeah, she's great. I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't jive with this. <laughs> All right, we got to move on. We have so much else to talk about, and I know we have limited time. Best actor: Timothy Chalamet. Call me by your name. Daniel Day Lewis. The Phantom Thread. Daniel Kaluuya. Get out. Gary Oldman. Darkest Hour. Last year's uh, bridesmaid, Denzel Washington, Roman J. Israel, Esquire. Michael, I, I'm i not going to use an F-bomb, but I hate you so much. I'm not happy about this, and I'm the one who called it. Yeah, I, that's why I hate you. <laughs> Did, uh, is I there any feel good. performance? Does he cry or scream or anything? No, like, is it there is any, like it's the, such a weird it's performance. A great performance. It's so bizarre. No, you're, you guys are all right, however, and I think James Franco's performance probably was better. Oh, no, wait, hold on. Think, I'm not I even advocating it over Franco. I, I, I'm, I'm saying that if Franco were going to miss, I, I think Gyllenhaal should have gotten the fair shake or here. Or Hanks or someone, but anyone but him. And I love Denzel. He was my winner for Fences. But it's just but, hammy, and it, it's, it is. Like a, it's like an SNL character. It's not a performance. It is, but I'm totally, I think that this was probably the best thing that could have happened to this category. Just, you know, it, you know it's Denzel, everyone likes him, you just shut it down, there's no talk, there's no controversy, it's just good. I'm sorry, Hall would have been a better choice. And Hanks. 
But Denzel's the one that had the steam from SAG and Golden Globe and whatever else. So it, it was going to be him. So, yeah. Oh, well. Well, Franco missed. That's all that we have to, you know, that, that, that's the big takeaway. Period. Read Franco into it period. what you will. Yeah. I mean, the campaign, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, um, the allegations were definitely enough to take down the campaign in the end. Some of us predicted that it wasn't enough time. Turns out it was true. But also, we got to remember, he did miss BAFTA. And it is a comedic performance, so he was vulnerable to begin with anyway. And apparently and I, Hollywood types wait until the last minute to return their ballots. <laughs> and I totally yeah. predicted him not getting in months ago, but you guys, like, really, I felt I felt peer pressured to put him in. And <laughs> wow, am I ride. supposed to apologize an or something? Special What's about going the on pearls here? of Oscar season. <laughs> well, never again. In, in our defense, he had the third most critics wins and uh, and nominations and he won a golden globe i mean with most performances that would be enough for people to be predicting them you know fair so in other words he's the amy adams and big eyes of this year uh moving on to best director guillermo del toro the shape of water greta gerwig lady bird christopher nolan dunkirk jordan peele get out and paul thomas anderson for phantom thread whoa i screamed I, I, I Will, Will and too. I both screamed. <laughs> yeah. God. I know. I miss, I, I'm, I underestimated Phantom Thread in general. And I, like, thinking back, Paul Thomas Anderson was everywhere. Like, that two to three weeks kind of leading up to the nominations, he was on, he was interviewing, doing everything he possibly could. So, in retrospect, I, I, I don't know. I just should have given it more consideration. I'm going to celebrate this nomination with a mushroom omelet. <laughs> but it's so funny though because we always talk about how um you know if you're a late breaking december contender it's like it's really hit or miss but there yeah. always seems to be one there's always one every year that it just lands at the right time and it's the one that voters tend to really go for and get behind um this year it looks like phantom thread was the american sniper to selma's the post yep but how about Gerwig and Peel? So cool. Yes. yes. That is a change of time. Yeah. And my cynicism was proved wrong. Yay. I'm so glad, Ryan. I, I'm this just glad I didn't have time. to put up with the internet <laughs> melting down. Like, that That was just the one thing I was happy about. Because this was literally, uh, of all the people that they could have snubbed, they snubbed the right guy. Because his directing in that movie is not as good as his writing or the performances. And they included an internet darling who everybody respects and everybody loves. It just, it was such a win-win. I, I was so yeah, happy with the way this category went down. Apparently the three billboards campaign doesn't realize McDonough was snubbed because on Facebook, I keep seeing ads saying best director, Martin McDonough. Huh. You're kidding me. <laughs> oh, I'll send you the screenshot. It's hilarious. Oh, wow. That's almost as bad as Denial. when they, they left and John Hawks, and they have a picture of Clark Peters in his face. <laughs> oh Somebody needs to get fired from their campaign. Yeah, they need help. Best picture, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, Three Billboards, Outside, Ebbing, Missouri. Guys, the one question on my mind that I have to ask all of you right now, if you're Fox Searchlight, what the hell do you do with The Shape of Water and Three Billboards? <laughs> Be very nice to each other. Exactly. And just give it to Lady Bird. <laughs> <laughs> no. I would say proceed calmly with both, uh, putting both up. I don't think you should, I don't think they should favor one over the other. I think they should just hedge their bets. All right. Yeah. So, uh, that's going to be tough for them. 
even tougher that Lady Bird has two of the best publicists in the business working on it. The problem with like all these nominations, when you step back and look at them as a whole, uh, everything has a knock against it, which is really bad. Get Out and Lady Bird are both missing Golden Globe director noms, BAFTA director noms, and editing uh, at the Oscars. The Shape of Water is missing SAG Ensemble. Three Billboards is missing director. The Post is missing everything. Like, uh-huh. it's just, and the other three are just not factors. Um, you know, uh, uh, but fine. I'll give some. I'll give some leeway here. Dunkirk does not have acting or writing. So there, I, I included Dunkirk. You happy now? Um, in any event, though, <laughs> like everything, nothing held. If if three billboards had gotten this best director nomination, I think I would be calling it for three billboards right now. Yeah, me too. But can it even if it had the directing nomination, could it sustain the next five weeks? I don't think so. And you know what's really funny? I feel like the talk has really died down now that it didn't get the best director nomination. Like I haven't heard as much noise about the film since the nominations. Maybe that's the best thing for it then. Maybe. Maybe we just move on to other things at this point in the meantime, you know? Yeah. But I I don't know. Shape of Water is shaping up to do a La La Land scenario where huh. it won PGA, it will win DGA most likely. Um, it will probably do well at the BAFTAs unless if three billboards surprises and does well there as well. And then we've got a boyhood Birdman scenario again, where, uh, boyhood did well at BAFTAs and golden globe, but didn't win any of the major guilds and, you know, Birdman won the major guilds and, you know, we know how that ended up, but okay. So I'm just going to ask everyone, Deanne, what's winning best picture? Oh, I'm still with shape. Uh, Ryan. Shape of water. Michael. Lady bird. Will. Shape. But I honestly do kind of feel Mike where I think Lady Bird could pull out a surprise. I, I want to say Lady Bird can pull out a surprise. My issue with the way the, sh- the race has now shaped itself um, since Critics' Choice and Golden Globes is I don't know what Lady Bird wins along with picture anymore. I think it's going to surprise in supporting actress and or screenplay. Michael... <laughs> If it wins the Go WGA, on. I will lean with you on that one, Michael. But Alice and Janney? I don't think they love that movie as much as they like her. And we're going to see a Mark Rylance type of situation with Laurie Metcalf. But the only way you can see a Mark Rylance situation is if Laurie Metcalf wins BAFTA. Not in the BAFTA sense, in that she's a respected actress who's put time in. But, but there's a difference here in that Mark Rylance won BAFTA. Laurie Metcalf has won nothing. She has all those critics' prizes. Well, and here's the thing. Everything Laurie Metcalf has going for her, Alice and Janney has going for her to a larger extent, times two or three. But like, what character do you prefer at the end? If you're just sitting down taking all the stats out of it. They're not rewarding the character here. Just like they're rewarding Alice I say that because Sam Rockwell is the ultimate definition of that. <laughs> yes. But you can sympathize with him the character. The That's the whole point of his arc. With, Laurie, or with Alice and Janney, you just hate her guts. Yeah, but supporting supporting like the supporting categories are where you throw people with characters who you hate. You know, like they're always thinking. Like you have Christoph Waltz and Bastards and uh, J.K. Simmons and Whiplash. Like you could almost sympathize with them. With this character, that has single. What about Anton Sugar or the mom and Precious? Like. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you have to give her credit to, I, you know, spoiler free, but that end scene where you kind of feel like she's maybe making a change and then yeah. isn't, is very effective for the film. Very. 
Maybe I'm just letting my own biases sit in there. <laughs> we have a lot of weeks to talk about this, guys. We and we have still have more content to go over. Um, this week's weekly poll. Um, well, actually, let me say what last week's weekly poll was. I had it up for a very long time. I asked everybody what, which was their favorite uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film. And I, uh, like I said, I had this poll last longer than usual, only because we were at Sundance and we were really busy. Um, so uh, the choices were all of Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography. Uh, who wants to take a guess what came in first place with 31.11%? There will be blood. There will be blood. Very good. Very good answer. Um, second choice. 21.11%. And I will say this. Third place was 19.44. So it just missed. Which was the runner-up, everybody? The Magnolia. You guys are good. Magnolia. Okay, so I have to say, I just rewatched Magnolia, and I just anyone who hasn't seen it in a while, if you want to revisit that film, given the current state and climate right now, if that movie were to come out today, all I'm saying is, uh, just anyway, Tom Cruise's performance is batshit crazy, <laughs> and almost and and offensive, and but also entertaining. And it's also, I mean, that bedside scene with his father is like, like some of the best work he's ever oh, done. Oh, he's so good in that. I, I, I still say to this day that he got robbed of his his deserved Oscar for that role, in my opinion. But I don't know if you remember some of his speeches. Oh, yeah. He's like, control the cock. The yeah. They would not fly yeah. right now. Oh, I know. <laughs> Respect the you know what. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. But for for the time though, for 1999, you know, just saying time. It's just just talking about. It's amazing how timing influences things. I would totally agree with you on that one. Third place was Boogie Nights, 19.44 percent. Those were the top three, and the only other thing that came close. Uh, fourth place was The Master, 12.78 percent of the vote. Oh, that would have been. I'm great. shocked that that didn't get second place or third place at least. I, I yeah. still think that that is a masterpiece of a film, um, and I think masterpiece. I, I, yeah, I said it. I said the M word. But then again, I think Paul Thomas Anderson is the kind of guy that, like, every movie one day is going to be considered a masterpiece of his, <laughs> except for maybe Hard Eight. <laughs> All An right. Inherent Vice. Oh yeah, an Inherent Vice. In Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, oh, I love Punch, Punch Drunk, Drunk Love. Is in the Criterion Collection, dude. That film is really well respected. Any event, though, uh, this week's poll, which was your favorite surprise Oscar nomination? I tried to keep the poll positive. I didn't want to focus on snubs. So in terms of inclusions, which was your favorite surprise nomination? I threw out a couple of choices. However, there is also a write-in option for people to use. And we've got uh, Phantom Thread and Best Picture, Greta Gerwig, Director, Christopher Nolan, Director, Jordan Peele, Director, Paul Thomas Anderson, Director, Denzel Washington, Best Actor, Leslie Manville, Supporting Actress, The Big Sick, an Original Screenplay, Logan, an Adapted Screenplay, Mudbound in Cinematography, Johnny Greenwood, Best Original Score. And like I said, there is a write-in option. Um, so just really quickly, I want to ask everybody, what was their favorite inclusion at the Oscar nominations? Uh, let's start off with Deanne. Well, I knew Gerwig was happening, so I'm not going to count that one. <laughs> that would obviously be my favorite, but um, I would say Rachel Morrison. Ryan? Um, Leslie Manville by a mile. But was Rachel Morrison really a surprise? I mean... Oh, I thought so. There was competition. Okay. Just just because the movie was, you know, didn't show up in Best Picture or didn't get, you know, really wasn't tracking to do that well here. So for me, it was a surprise. I don't know. Uh, Michael? Just like Deanne, I'm not going to say Gerwig just because I was predicting her. 
but also like Ryan, I'm going to say Leslie Manville because I absolutely loved her in Phantom Thread. And Will. I predicted Manville. I felt that coming. Yeah, me too. Um, but I would. It's it's weird because Logan and um, Phantom Thread don't quite make my lineups in their respective categories and they're in my personal awards. But I think they're such inspired choices regardless that they're my favorites. I love the fact that a superhero film finally was nominated for a screenplay, even if I think that film's more a directorial achievement than a writing achievement. And PTA doesn't make my lineup, but I do think that's such an inspired turn. So take those two. Okay. Cool. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That's just how it works. <laughs> uh, let's move over to Sundance. Let's talk about what went on over the past, uh, what is it now, nine days or so? Um, I was there for eight. Will, you were there for four? No, I was there for like a week. Oh, Nice. Uh, and Deanne, you are still there because you live there. <laughs> she lives in the Eccles Theater. So what yeah, I'm going right. to do is this. is I'm going to just really quickly uh, just go over. Um, the way I'll do this is this. I'll go over which films I saw uh, first on like day-to-day -day basis. Um, Deanne, you can also say which films you saw that same day. And Will, you as well. And if Ryan, Michael, if you guys have any questions. Or even Deanne and Will and myself, if we have questions for each other, uh, let's ask them. Um, Can I just a few couple of big trends? I just want to point out 42% of the films were directed by women, which I think is amazing. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, and as a general theme, and I know that both Will and Matt will agree, I mean, in terms of strong female characters or females. Um, t you know, owning these films, it, I mean, that that presence was felt incredibly. I mean, so I, I agree. Overall, I just think that's going to have a big impact as the year kind of trickles on. But um, anyway, that that was super you know, cool and exciting. A lot of people of color stories. No, too. you could feel it uh, so much in the Q and A's after every single film because um, during the Q and A's, the filmmakers uh, who, like you said, Deanne, uh, were mostly female uh, were talking about tying it into what's going on socially. And it was, it, yeah, no, that was definitely a huge theme. All right. So let's uh, start off with uh, day one. Uh, day one, I got off the plane. I went right over to Park City. <laughs> I didn't even check in my room. And um, the first night I saw two films. I saw Blind Spotting and I saw Private Life. Uh, Private Life was the film with Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti, directed by Tamara Jenkins, whose last film was The Savages. And Blind Spotting was this tiny little 
independent film starring uh, David Diggs from, um, uh, some people will know him from Hamilton. Um, I, I thought like my, my, my whole evening, like started off on like the right note. I thought blind spotting was a really, really solid independent film that vote was a little visually flat. I, I don't see it being like an Oscar nominee or anything like that. It was just, a, it was, but it was a really, um, surprising first film. And it was like one of those things where you go in with like the lowest expectations and it's like, Oh, like that's what they call a discovery at Sundance. Like I would never have heard about this or seen anything about this if I were not here, you know? So that was really nice. And then private life, I was a little low on compared to other people. Will, I know you saw it that same evening. Yeah, I actually liked private life. I think it was definitely too long. Um, and you know, two hours, that right? is my knock against it, by the way, but it's too long and there's some, characters that don't get justice in the third act necessarily and some supporting characters who don't need to be there. But I, I thought Jenkins captures just awkwardness in a way that's just almost a work of art to make you so uncomfortable. And it is very funny. I mean, I liked it. I'm like a seven out of 10, whereas I think Matt is like a five I'm at a six out of 10. On it. So, and I do think, you know, to six. I think Catherine Hahn is going to factor into the Golden Globes next year. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it's a good, solid film. It's. It'll be on Netflix soon. Mm-hmm. I think it's not Netflix till the fall. Oh, yeah, September. Well, sometime in 2017. 2018. Soon enough, <laughs> if you want to believe that it'll happen soon. But yeah. I can't wait to see that one. That sounds right up my alley, and I love the Savages. That was another interesting thing this year. Was just Netflix and Amazon made their picks prior to the festival. I I haven't heard anything about them acquiring things once the show started running. They kind of made their decisions ahead of time. They probably didn't want to get into another bidding war. Yeah, where that has Movie Pass bought one. I thought that was pretty wild. Which was actually the next film I saw the next day. And it was the only film I saw the next day because I tried waitlisting for stuff and I couldn't get in. And it was like really hurtful to me because I feel like I like my first day I saw two films and I was like on a high I was like oh man if every day's like this this is gonna be great and the next day it was like I didn't get into anything I wanted to see I was supposed to see three films that day and it just it didn't work out but the one film I did see was the one that movie pass and the orchid uh acquired and that is uh Bart Layton's uh film American Animals Bart Layton did The Imposter a, a really really well done documentary a couple of years ago this is his first narrative feature film. It stars Barry Keoghan uh, from Dunkirk and Killing of a Sacred Deer and Evan Peters, who people will know from American Horror Story and the X-Men franchise. Um, and this was like a heist crime film done by 21, 22-year-olds who are millennials that are dissatisfied with their current lot in life and they're just trying to get rich really quick and change their circumstance. And what I loved about this film was its energy and how dramatic the stakes get in the third act to the point where it is just so freaking intense. Um, I I was on the edge of my seat. My palms were sweating in, in the third act of this film. Yeah, that's what I like too, Matt. I'm yeah. in agreement. American Animals and Blind Spotting both are very interesting in terms of tonal shift. The first act in both of those films is like very light and you, you're just not, like not really sure what you're getting. And then they both end with such a bang, you know, and, yeah. and very, very meaningful and impactful. And I loved that shift in tone. Yeah. And American Animals has like this I, Tanya thing going on too with like conflicting yeah. interview testimony. Um, and because of Bart Layton's experience as a documentary filmmaker, like those are very interesting, well shot, well edited, um, and well acted too. considering in American animals, they use the actual people, which I had no idea. 
was true. I thought they were actually actors because the performances that they were given were so good that I, I was just blown away when I, when I found out that they were the actual people involved and that they weren't giving performances. It was actually real emotion. Um, I think it's going to be a crowd pleaser this year. I think a lot of people are going to dig that movie. I just hope people see it because I feel like movie pass and the orchard acquiring it does not put in the best uh, light, uh, you know, in terms of how wide that distribution is going to go. So hopefully the Evan Peters fans will flock to it. We'll see how that goes. Uh, that was, so that was day two. That was Friday. Uh, Deanne, did you see anything else on, on, did you see anything yeah, on Friday? Yeah, I, or? I did. I saw Death of Stalin, which will be on Netflix very soon and had played at prior festivals, obviously. And I'm going to reserve my opinions on that one. I, I know that a lot of people like it. I'm, I'm not a big fan. You know, it's from the people who did Veep and I just didn't find Steve Buscemi very compelling. But um, I know a lot of people love it. And so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, and then I saw You Were Never Really Here from um, also played at prior festivals. So these were both part of the spotlight category where they just bring in picks from um, other festival runs. And I really liked You Were Never Really Here. It ended up being my third favorite of the festival. Um, Lynn Ramsey is very talented director. This is very, very heavily heavy subject matter, but the way that she, and she doesn't shy away from it, but at the same time, she kind of presents it in a way that makes it um, kind of palpable. And for me, it was my favorite performance from Joaquin of the festival, which I know we're going to talk about his other one. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see, even though I know he hates awards and he hates marketing himself in any way, if this is going to be a year for him or not. Speaking of which, um, the film that I saw next was Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Speaking of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's jump to that. So, uh, yeah, I preferred his performance and you were never really here. But I think he probably will get more run for his performance in Don't Worry. I, I didn't see you were never really here, so I can't speak to it. I guess you weren't really there. No. <laughs> I didn't Can get I far on foot. <laughs> Don't Worry, You Won't Get Far on Foot is the next day, right? Because yeah. I want to give a shout out to a film I saw that Friday, too. It's a slam dance film, but it'll probably get distribution at one narrative feature up at Slam Dance, which is up the hill. It's called Rocksteady Row, and it's basically the love child of Mad Max, Baby Driver, and Van Wilder. It's a dystopian frat comedy, um, and it's awesome. Like, I think if Matt ever gets to see it, he's gonna. it's going to be a Matt Neglia movie. Um, it, it's incredibly stylized. It's just wild manic editing with like really distinctive aesthetics, bright colors and stuff, silhouettes. And it's uh, in a killer soundtrack. Oh my God. I love that you're describing a Matt Neglia movie right now. Like this is your spot on, sir. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I think when you see it, this is, this is gonna go very well and I think it will get distribution. So I, I do want to give a little shout out cause I spent a lot of time up at slam dance this week. And there, there were some great films to come out of there, and probably none better than this film. Nice, awesome. Um, I'm gonna write that one down actually, and I'm gonna, you know, definitely seek that one out because that sounds like you said right up my alley. Uh, but don't worry, he won't get far on foot though. This is not as good as Goodwill Hunting or Milk in terms of the Gus Van Sant filmography, but I would personally consider it to be in the middle. Um, I don't think it's better than Sea of Trees. Yes. Yes. Um, I think Joaquin Phoenix's uh, performance goes a very long way to making this film likable. You know, it was like a, it was a crowd pleasing film. I felt like I, I think the audience laughed when they were supposed to laugh. I think they 
had the emotions they were supposed to feel when they needed to. And at the end of the day, I think that Joaquin's performance in this, while it is in a way Oscar Beatty, it's not Oscar Beatty in the disability sense, um, because even though that's a part of the uh, person's life that he is portraying in this film, this is more of a movie about alcoholism. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That was, yeah. That, like that was, that took precedent. It, it, it's like it's like him ending up in the wheelchair and everything was like, uh, you know, we got to include this because this did happen to him, but the film doesn't focus on that. His real demons it is his problem with his drinking and Jonah Hill plays like this, uh, gay hippie, uh, sponsor who runs like a AA group. And, um, I, I didn't really like Jonah Hill in the role to the truth. I thought he was terribly miscast. Um, but I think that the relationship that he forms with Joaquin Phoenix is definitely very heartwarming and, uh, goes a very long way to, it starts out really campy, but he does have a nice scene in the third act. Right. Exactly. I, I think it earns its, it earns its emotion, I think. Yeah. So, and then Rudy Marr is like very out of place in this. Yeah. Agreed. That was a weird. I heard, I heard it's like prefers actively bad performance. It, I don't even know if you could say it was bad. There just wasn't enough to do. And she just didn't make sense in the role. I mean, yeah, I don't know, but that'll be out soon. Uh, that's been acquired. There's a trailer out for it. So uh, now we get to, for me, uh, the film that Amelia saw after that uh, was one of my least favorite of the festival. That's Mandy with Nicolas Cage. Um, it's a two-hour heavy metal-influenced, B-campy, Nicolas Cage, insanity, freaking blood and guts. I mean, this movie is just – this movie has its demographic, and it's a pure midnight movie at Sundance through and through. Um, but the first 80 minutes, let me say that again, 80 minutes of the two hour film is so slow, so arduous, and it's practically torture because characters are always speaking a very cryptic dialogue. It's very, very slowly paced. The only thing that's keeping you invested in are the visuals. Um, the last 40 minutes is just full blown Nicolas Cage going ape shit on people, killing them with chainsaws and anything else he can get his hands on. And it's just freaking madness. Um, but those first 80 minutes, I was ready to fall asleep. I almost walked out. I, I, I just couldn't take it. And I will say this about the film. If you want to get a better idea of what kind of film it is, my go to film for if someone were to ask me what's a great film to watch while on drugs was Enter the Void. Now it's Mandy. <laughs> So it's definitely like an LSD trip through cinema. You know, let me put it this way. While I was waiting at unsuccessfully in line for wildlife, the two people who saw this film and told me it was their favorite of the festival had blue and pink mohawks, respectively. So I think it tells you a lot about this film. Yeah. Don't think I'll be seeing that one. No, 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 don't. Um, next <laughs> after that was Lizzie for me. Uh, and this completed my uh, my third day at Sundance. Uh, Lizzie starred Chloe Savini and Kristen Stewart in a retelling of the Lizzie Borden uh, murders uh, that – did she do them? Did she not do them? The film tries to put forward it's uh, based on a true story but practically fictional uh, case forward as to what the filmmakers think happened. Um, so you didn't give this movie the axe. 
<laughs> no, I, I didn't hate it. Um, I thought it was way too cold and way too detached to connect with the audience emotionally. And what's really sad about it is that this was like a love child for uh, Chloe Savini. She produced the film and really brought it forward. And unfortunately, now that it's come out and the reactions are a little muted to it, she's actually already kind of distancing herself from the film. And she's talking about how what she had envisioned in her mind and how she wanted to play the performance was not how the director uh, wanted to go about things. And I think that shows when you're watching it. Um, yeah, it was supposed to be like an HBO show, more like miniseries type. And then they condensed it down. And um, actually, I think uh, Kristen Stewart outshines her a little yes. bit in this. Kristen Stewart is actually really good. Yes. I think it's the best performance I've seen her give. Right. Um, but unfortunately, I think that's a film that's going to get lost in the shuffle and just be completely forgotten about. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Oh, I did have one last film. I forgot. I That evening, um, five minutes before this film started, I realized I had lost my credit card. Uh, and so the film, like the lights went down and I had a sinking hole in my stomach. So all throughout uh, Deborah Gronick's uh, follow-up to Winner's Bone, Leave No Trace, I almost felt like I couldn't fully enjoy it because I was so stressed. Um, I found my credit card eventually, um, right after the screening was over, by the way. But um, Leave No Trace stars Ben Foster and um, a, a newcomer, uh, Thomason McKenzie. McKenzie. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yep, McKenzie. Yeah. Yep. And Thomas and McKenzie, much in the same way like Jennifer Lawrence was in Winter's Bone, like a discovery. Uh, De- Deborah just has such a way of finding these young girls to play these complex roles. And um, I didn't like it as much as Winter's Bone, but I liked it overall. And I was really kind of disappointed by Ben Foster's performance because it was more internal and quiet and to the point where it, it, it like didn't register for me. But he does have one very, very, very powerful scene at the end that almost brought me to tears. Yeah, it's a lovely movie. I, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. It's yeah. not Winner's Bone, but people will enjoy it, and it's worth watching, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. 7 out of 10 sounds right. So that night I saw 8th Grade, mm. um, which really viscerally affected me just because I've never seen somebody so accurately capture every little just uncomfortable detail of that period in life. You know, just little things like the guy stacking markers on top of one another at the beginning. And then also encapsulating my worst fears as to what it would be like to be a middle schooler in an era with Snapchat and Instagram because it would make the FOMO so much worse and the potential for bullying. I mean, it's it's not a perfect film. It's very unstructured. But the lead is excellent. Elsie Fisher. What's her name? Elsie Fisher. Elsie Fisher was excellent. The music is great. Um, Burnham directs the film admirably. And there, there were some scenes. I mean, in, in some ways, the movie feels like a horror film at times. Um, and there are some scenes that he taps into this raw nerve for anxiety that just, in such a way that just the awkwardness of middle school becomes a literal horror film. There's a scene. There's a scene in a car that had me on the edge of my seat in a yeah. way few have in years. Um, so eighth grade was my favorite film of the festival. Wow, uh, I will say it was the second to last film I saw on my last day, and it, it too was one of my favorite. It's my third favorite film of the festival. Elsie um, Fisher is a revelation. She is incredible. 
Bo Burnham, I think, writes the film better than he directs it, but it is his directorial debut. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of leeway there. Um, I agree, Will. The music is incredible. And I think it's the Lady Bird of the festival in that a lot of people walked out of that screening saying how much they could relate to that experience. And I think that struck a chord with everybody and made it a huge crowd pleaser. That's going to be a very big hit for A24, I feel like. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, The next day, start off my morning with Wildlife, Paul Dano's directorial debut, which he co-wrote with with, uh, Zoe Kazan. And it stars Carrie Mulligan, Carrie Mulligan, and Carrie Mulligan. Uh, Well, and Jake Gyllenhaal, I guess. Um, (laughs) This is the Carrie Mulligan show. And... I firmly believe she is heading for her second Oscar nomination with this movie. I can't believe she only has one nomination. I know. It's wild. She, she plays a mother uh, in the 50s or 60s, was it? I think it was the 60s, um, whose husband, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, loses his job, goes off to get another job, and he's away from um, her and their son, who the film is told through the son's point of view. And she ends up like kind of going through this whole this whole like roller coaster of emotions in terms of just like you know she she's a little selfish but at the same time she's unfulfilled and she's spiting uh her husband for leaving them and all because he couldn't swallow his pride and take a different kind of job and she ends up getting into like a an affair with Bill Camp of all people who is like popping up in everything nowadays um and and it just was like this it was like Brooklyn in the sense of like, there's not really like dramatic stakes that are like um, outside of the realm of reality, but it does a really great job of putting you in the character's headspace and the acting is really well done. So this is one that could really cross over to Oscars next year, you think? I think if they give it a fall release, I think Mulligan and maybe adapted screenplay, depending on how... Oh, that would be great adapted screenplay for Dano and Kazan. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Yeah, uh, and and Dano could be a DGA nominee then for first time feature because um, he does have a very steady, sure hand in terms of how he directs this film. Um, there were some who was com- that were complaining about the pacing of it, and it's a little slow. But I think that this was the kind of example where the pacing did allow for us to be able to uh, take a step back to analyze what the characters were feeling and the emotions they were going through, which ultimately helped with the overall experience. Definitely one of the stronger ones I saw at the festival. For sure. Dia, did you see wildlife? I did not. Oh, and will you said you missed it, right? Yeah. They, they turned away the entire waitlist line. I was so pissed. All right. Well, Deanne and I saw this next film, uh, later that evening. And it's a film by boots. Riley. Deanne, I'll let you take the lead on this one. No, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to talk about things I don't like. I, I had a hard time with this film. I thought it was, you know, look, I I, I can certainly handle things that are um, a little incoherent and erratic and all of that. I can handle a lot. But this one for me, just I couldn't connect with it. But, you know, sometimes also when you've been watching movies for eight to ten hours and this is the last one of the day, Sometimes that plays in, but for me, it did not work. The film is called Sorry to Bother You. It stars Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Army Hammer, uh, Stephen Young, uh, Tessa Thompson. I'm drawing a blank right now on everybody's names on this film. It was definitely, in my opinion, the Swiss Army Man colossal of the festival in that the idea and the concept is so wildly original and so out there. 
and it goes kind of full bonkers by the third act of the film that it definitely lost some people. My first question after the Q&A was I raised my hand and I said to Boots Riley, I was like, where the hell did the idea for this movie come from? And I was hoping he was going to give like some sort of enlightening answer about like the themes of the film and so on and so forth. But he kind of instead just essentially told us that he thinks ideas change the world and this film is filled with a lot of ideas and he just threw every idea he had down on paper. And it's like, okay, so you were just hoping that some of this stuff would stick. Yeah, you know, because it, it, it really just goes off the rails, I think, in the third act and it gets way too crazy. Um, genetic horse mutations. I'll just leave it at what? that. What? Yeah. Oh, you guys, like, seriously. Ugh. Was this Ugh. the night of the sags? Was this um, the what? Was this the night of the sags? Yes, uh, it was. Yeah, okay. It was, yeah. Yep. Oh, okay, so this is the night I saw The Happy Prince. Um, the Happy Prince is Rupert Everett's directorial debut and is one of the most just aesthetically hideous films I've ever seen. Oh, is this it the one just, about Oscar Wilde? Yes. Yes. Um, it is. Rupert Everett's pretty good as Oscar Wilde. Uh, his, his performance is solid as an aging, syphilitic Oscar Wilde. But the film is, imagine the aesthetics of Les Mis and the King's Speech, but without the experience that Danny Cohen had, and with about a fifth of the budget, and then structure the film editing-wise like the Iron Lady, and you get this film. And it is just Oh God! The the characters are relatively uninteresting in the way they're displayed, Um, but all I could get over is just how poorly made it is. I I don't know why he chose these aesthetic choices, but fisheye lenses, handheld, putting things on the fourth, Dutch tilts, just gross, murky lighting. And like production design, where you just have walls that are white backgrounds and people are framed in odd ways. It does not work. It is terrible. Um, I just want to be respectful of time right now because I know Deanne has more screenings to get to at Sundance. Deanne, how are we doing on time? Um, I've got about 15, but I also worry about losing people with all these damn movies I can't see for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, Deanne, uh, I, I was going to just go off on my next day, essentially, but just for the sake of time, uh, do you want to uh, touch upon anything else that, you know, you, you saw at the festival? Yeah. We could just go Yeah, let me that. just get like, yeah, let, yeah, let's do that. I just, you know, a couple of kind of obviously other themes. Clearly, um, cl- uh, you know, a lot of movies that were racially charged in terms of theme obviously we already talked about two of those that were a little bit more on the satirical side with blind spotting and also sorry to bother you tyrell is another one um that i saw that is getting kind of the get out bus but i just really think that that is a misnomer to even say that that movie has it, it you know is is relatable to get get out because it's very different it's much more subtle in its messaging um and actually is just more about kind of putting you in a situation and experiencing it from a different point of view and then coming away with kind of how you would feel in that environment just to give you an idea the main character is jason mitchell his name is tyler so the name tyrell right off the bat is you know he shows up for this uh, guy's weekend with a whole bunch of white dudes and obviously one of them right off the bat calls him Tyrell. So that, and then it just kind of goes from there in terms of these very subtle, um, 
issues. So um, I really like that one, but it's not Get Out. So I don't like I don't like that um, comparison. The other thing um, I want to speak to, and I know Matt will probably um, jump onto this, but I feel like the darling for me of this festival, and it's definitely an indie darling. I don't think it's going to be awards um, bait, but I do think it will be talked about a lot this year as We the Animals, yes. which is yes. very much, uh, it's a very, oh my God, it's just, it's it's Moonlight without the structure, much more looser narrative um, than Moonlight in terms of the three acts that Moonlight's very specific like, around. It's Moonlight a lot of the meets same. the Florida Project meets Terrence it's, Malick. Right, right. You, you've got all of these uh, unknown actors just killing it, much like the Florida Project, where you're going like, who are these people? This is brilliant. And then it also has... Um, this really cool vein of using illustration to talk about the kind of internal dialogue of the main character. So that kind of um, also all that kind of is like montage of heck, like Brett Morgan style. So anyway, the whole, it, I think this film is going to be very popular with critics this year and you're going to be hearing a lot about it. And then the miseducation of Cameron post mm. won the grand jury prize. Oh. Um, and I will say this, the prizes at Sundance are a little funny because it doesn't necessarily represent what, what actually ends up getting traction. Call Me By Your Name didn't win anything in terms of prizes last year, if you didn't can believe that. Didn't me and Earl and the Dying Girl win a few years yep. ago? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Really which would be our Best Picture nominee. And Birth of a Nation, obviously, instead yeah. of Manchester by the Sea. Ugh. I mean, like, yeah. yeah, they're not precursors, <laughs> like, at all. They're not even... But at the same time, I mean, obviously... Um, yeah, for that, that win for the miseducation of Cameron Post, I think is good. This is about reparation, you know, reparation therapy type of situation where a girl has to go to this camp and try and not be who she really is. And so it's about identity in that way. And it's really good. So those would be kind of, it's Lady Bird meets novitiate was the way I described it to somebody. And they were like, yes, that's exactly what this movie is. (laughs) Yeah, Chloe Grace Moretz, I think, does a really great job. So those would be my big takeaways. Um, I, I, I think We the Animals is going to break out like Beasts of the Seven Wild did a couple years ago. I, I have this very sneaky feeling that that film is not going away throughout the rest of the uh, awards race. Um, very quickly, uh, I saw I Think We're Alone Now, Reed Morano's uh, film that she shot and directed, like The Handmaid's Tale. Um, and it stars Peter Dinklage and Elle Fanning. Peter Dinklage is like the last man on Earth in this like post-apocalyptic setting. And Elle Fanning uh, is somebody that he comes across and he realizes that he's not exactly as alone as he thought he was. And it's all about the two just trying to co- uh, coexist where he's very regimented and he's kind of like built this life for himself of isolation and solitude. And it's all just about him coming to grips with the fact that he's no longer alone and what is that dynamic like? Um, it's got a twist in the third act that kind of brings it off the rails for me a little bit, but overall uh, solid. Um, I, I still thought it was, you know, definitely interesting. Uh, next uh, was, oh, this film, Burden, uh, starring Garrett Hedlund, Andrea Riseborough, Forrest Whitaker. Um, I spoke to a publicist after I saw this film, and I told them they need to release this in October. And they need to push for Forrest Whitaker, Andrea Riseborough, and Garrett Hedlund for awards because, holy crap, they give amazing performances in this. Um, film takes place in the mid-90s in North Carolina. Garrett Hedlund is a son of a Ku Klux Klan member played by Tom Wilkinson. And 
it's all about how he falls in love with Andrea Riseborough and she kind of gives him an ultimatum of choosing her and her son over uh, the clan. And Forrest Whitaker plays the community preacher who tries his best to try and guide Garrett Hedlund down the right path. Um, Hedlund does his best work ever in this movie. And it's better than his work in Mudbound. And I really, really do believe that he could be heading for his first nomination with this. It won audience favorite in U.S. Dramatic, too, Mm -hmm. for an award. Yeah. It's a very powerful film. I did hear a couple complaints coming out of the film that, like, some people were like, I don't want to see a film where a white racist gets redeemed. Um, So it's going to have that baggage. But I I don't know. I thought it was a very emotionally impactful and powerful film. Uh, I saw Arizona with Danny McBride. That's like a B-level campy film you would find on Netflix buried somewhere that was just, you know, fun and harmless. Um, Beirut with John Hamm, Rosamund Pike, is like a brutal version of Argo. So it's basically Argo without the laughs. Um, there's a trailer out for that one. You guys can check that one out. As far as like, you know, that film, it's an R-rated adult thriller. And it's solid. It's not amazing. It's not going to be an Oscar play or anything like that. But to tell you the truth, I was a little surprised it was even at the festival to begin with. But, um, you know, that's going to be a you know solid entertainment when it comes out for some people, especially if you are a fan of the R-rated adult thriller, which we don't seem to get a lot of nowadays. Um, we talked about Miseducation of Cameron Post. Um, I saw Monster, which has Kelvin Harrison Jr. And he was in uh, It Comes at Night last year and he plays um a young black man who gets convicted of a crime in brooklyn new york and gets sent to jail um and it's all about the trial of will he or will he not spend the rest of his life in jail it is essentially the night of but in movie form and jennifer hudson and jeffrey wright play his parents and that film had me on the edge of my seat all the way till the very end it was very very emotionally powerful it's the only film i think i cried at during sundance um, Matt, yeah, I need to go in a few minutes, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to be around for nominations. Okay. Uh, next, we had uh, Nancy with Andrea Riseborough. That was probably my least favorite film of the festival overall. Way too slow, way too subtle, and just had an unfulfilling ending. Hereditary, A24's horror film, probably the breakout horror mm. film of the festival. I want to uh, see that so bad. Like The Witch and The Babadook. And I'm going to just save this for the record. The film is painfully scary um it is really 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 horrifying and it features an awards worthy performance from tony collette that if a24 plays their cards really right uh that could seriously go all the way it's better than what jennifer lawrence did in mother last year if you guys were fans of that kind of a horror performance like this this kind of teeters like on the edge of like this being like uh blue blue jasmine in terms of just like maniacal um absolutely insanity uh what else uh damsel didn't like it uh divide a lot of genre convention it was a western with robert pattinson and uh, mia wachowski is that how you say her name from uh, uh whatever in any event i wasn't a fan of that one uh we talked about weedy animals uh skate kitchen which is like this snapshot of uh, life in New York City for this group of female skateboarders um, played by non-professional actors, mostly with improvised dialogue. 
um, a very, very good female-empowered film about the camaraderie that these girls uh, share through skateboarding. I really, really dug and this And Jaden Smith. And, and Jaden Smith is in it, and he's the worst part of the film. <laughs> uh, then there is The Tale, which got picked up by HBO, um, which will be shown on television and will be eligible for Emmys. This is uh, written and directed by Jennifer Fox based on her own memoir. Um, really impactful, really disturbing, uh, but not disturbing like in the graphic sense, just more in the moral sense of you're watching this 13-year-old girl get sexually abused and uh, Laura Dern plays her in the present day trying to come to grips with what happened to her and try to confront her, abuse her. And um, that was a very emotionally charged film. And Jennifer Fox herself was at the uh, screening and she got a standing ovation from everybody. Um, Assassination Nation. Um, I will be talking about that more in another time because it was my favorite film of the festival. It was essentially, in my opinion, the most timely film of the festival. And all the things that Will described earlier in terms of what a Matt Neglia movie is, that's what Assassination Nation was. Stylish, uh, edited very well, great soundtrack, um, really, really awesome message, which ties into um, the lynch mob mentality of America right now and heavily criticizing it, which I, you know, am usually doing on a weekly basis. Um, last day of the festival, Monsters and Men, which was a, a shooting in Brooklyn that happens, um, police, police shooting of an unarmed black man in Brooklyn. And it's told from three perspectives. It's told from um, the person who captured the, the shooting on video and it's also told from the perspective of a black uh, police officer within the um, police force and how he's viewing how the police are reacting to this shooting from the inside. And it also is played uh, from another perspective of Kelvin Harrison Jr., who shows up again uh, in this film. And he's like a young uh, black man who is training to become a professional baseball player. Uh, but yet he wants to be politically active and join in on the, um, the the marches and the protests about what's happening. The reason why I didn't like this film was because none of these perspectives ever intersect. They never cross over. And that was kind of disappointing to me. Uh, we already talked about Eighth Grade. And then the last and final film I saw at the festival, sorry guys, I know I've been rambling a lot here, uh, was Search, which stars uh, John Cho. And the whole film is told through electronic devices, uh, a.k.a. the screens of electronic devices. So his daughter ends up going missing. And it's all about a parent like kind of trying to go through her computer to try and like get in touch with her friends and figure out through social media what, what her whereabouts are. And the whole film, like I said, is um, the, 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 the movie theater screen is essentially the computer screen. So this one, the next prize, so the next category hasn't had an award in the past. That's where Ghost Story lived last year, so that's why I didn't get any awards. Um, so they had an award for that this year, and Search was the winner. Um, it's an intense movie with a lot of twists and turns, and it's actually, for despite its limited concept, is really quite innovative and actually a lot of fun. Uh, there is a sequence in the film that rivals up for its opening montage in terms of just emotion, and like it really played very well with the theater I saw it with and everybody really loved it. Um, I think that that is a film that uh, it, it won't be a huge hit. Um, it'll, do, it'll do very well, but I think it's going to be like respectable and I think people are really going to dig it for its originality. And John Cho is just awesome uh, in the lead role as this uh, father who's panicking to try and find his daughter and figure out what happened to her. So 
And oh. Sony's already acquired it, so it might get a wide release, actually. Yeah, I, I, I think it will. Um, but it's like, you know, one of those uh, self-contained movies, you know, like like uh, think of like a Buried or a Phone Booth or something like that, you know, because of the because of the concept. Uh, will, yeah, what else you got? Yeah, I, I saw Blaze, which um, Ben Dickey won a special prize for last night for his performance. And he is incredible. It's it's I believe it's his acting debut. I mean, he's been a musician before. Blaze is it's it's relatively unstructured. You know, it's it's edited kind of experimentally, but it is a pretty touching story. This is somebody who was an incredibly talented musician, but never could overcome his substance abuse problem and then was searching so hard for meaning that and this is something they tell you in the first five minutes that he died for the most random reason possible and it's just kind of an exploration of who was this man and who was the woman who gave him a lot of meaning and he's like an Appalachian redneck who converted to Judaism for this woman I mean like it's it's an interesting story not everything works It, it is edited and structured kind of oddly but it's very well acted and it definitely generates some emotion. And then I saw uh, summer of 84, which my audience loved. I did not. It's basically Disturbia meets stranger things. You know, it's a group of kids in the 1980s who get convinced that their neighbor is a serial killer and try to stop him. Um, And it's fine. The soundtrack's pretty good. But it's it's so clearly, you know, capitalizing on the Stranger Things vibe that it, it's just kind of like, eh. And then I saw a couple ones at Slam Dance that we should have interviews coming for soon. And I think that was it for ones I saw that you guys didn't see. All right, Matt. I, I need to cut out now. All right. Sounds yeah. good. Uh, Michael, uh, sorry to see Sorry to have to have you go. Um, Deanne, I know you got to run as well. Will, Ryan, are you guys still good to uh, do nominations or? I have to run too. Ah. I didn't think we were going to be on this long. All right. Yeah, it's been a so long time. That's unfortunate. Um, so I guess we'll hold off MVP staff award nominations for next week along with the community uh, nominations as well. Uh well, you know what? That's okay. That's fine. It's all good in the end. Um, I'm sure everybody will be okay waiting another week. Why not? Uh, we definitely covered a lot of ground in this episode, so um, let's just sign off here. Michael, where can I find you on the internet? As always, you can find me on Twitter at MikeMovie. Deanne? On Twitter at TweedledeeD33. Ryan? At Ryan C. Showers. Will? On Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 75 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is ever acceptable. Uh, We will be back next week, I promise, I promise, I promise, with staff awards, community awards. Uh, We'll have uh, both of those done together next week. Sorry we went a little uh, long, everybody, but thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and we will see you all next time. Hello. 
and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.